This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast, and we've got another great message for you. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. Hello, I'm Dan from The Gathering, the um, church planter of Bytown Community Church. And I'm so glad that you are here with us today. I hope you are doing well. You know, as we start, I want to ask you, have you ever heard of the time period called the Dark Ages? It's this time in history in Western Europe after the Roman Empire fell. This characterized by economic, intellectual, and cultural decline. The term uses light versus dark imagery to refer to a period where there was a lack of records compared to the periods before it and the periods after where there was an abundance of records. And it carries this connotation of intellectual darkness as the period between the fall of the Roman Empire and the rise of modernity. Scholars have argued that this term, dark ages, can inappropriately limit our understanding of this time period and making it appear that it was only backwards or a time filled with violence. And that this view is too simplistic and narrow. You know, many people would say it's inappropriate to ever use this kind of dark and light imagery when commenting on someone's worldview or intellect. You know, to say that someone's in the dark means that you're kind of putting yourself or your own worldview as higher or supreme and you're dismissing the view of others. Even though it's not politically correct to judge someone in this way, many of us probably do it all the time in our own hearts. You know, we look at other people and we think they're misguided. They're stubborn, they're unaware. And I personally know that I'm really cautious before ever using this kind of imagery. To me to say someone's in the dark seems prideful, offensive. And I want to be very sure that someone's truly ignorant before making this kind of assertion. You know, in today's text, I find it shocking because Jesus does this very thing. Well, look at a text where he makes the claim that he is the light of the world, while at the same time implying that others are in the darkness. Over the past few weeks, I've been going through a series called I Am and looking at the different I Am statements in John. And today we're going to unpack this bold statement, I am the light of the world. And we'll discuss what John means and when he makes this claim, uh, what he's saying about how those who do not follow Jesus are in the dark. It's my hope that as we unpack this powerful statement that we'll see the power and the greatness again of who Jesus is and why it's important that we follow him. The reality that Jesus is the light of the world is a game changer and it invites us into a whole new way of living. The beginning of the Gospel of John, the writer begins with this beautiful prologue. And in it, we find these powerful words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. It's John 1, 1 to 5. 
These verses are packed with these fascinating images that draw the reader and the hearer into the text. And through the prologue, John introduces all of the themes and metaphors that he's going to expand on throughout the book. John introduces Jesus as the Word. He is with God and he is God. He has been with God from the very beginning of time. Jesus is divine and not only God's son, but he is God. The creator, God of the Hebrews, is not only Jesus' father, but they are also one. It is incredibly beautiful and confusing. Jesus was not only present at creation, but John says that all creation came into being through him. He's the source of life and all things that exist came into being through Jesus. Life is found in Christ and it always has been. John is retelling the Genesis creation story and he's helping us see it through a Trinitarian lens. Though the Bible never uses the word Trinity, theologians came up with that word to try to describe the mystery of God three in one. So God the Father created the heavens and the earth. And, but we also see that the Son and the Spirit were also there. If you look in Genesis, you'll see that the Spirit hovered over the waters. And now John is helping us see that Jesus was also present. He was the source of life. And not only did Jesus bring about life, but John additionally introduces imagery of Jesus being light. Jesus is the light of all people, and he has overcome the darkness. So what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament and in the Hebrew mindset, light was very important. Light is necessary for life. It's the first thing that is created in the Genesis story. God declares it to be good. And light also comes to signify God's presence and his favor in someone's life. Many of you have probably heard these beautiful words from the psalmist. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, 1. We can understand how the ancient Hebrews developed a dualism between light and darkness and applied it to good and evil. And this kind of thinking still exists in our culture today. So John picks up on all these themes in his gospel. He uses the theme of light to refer to the revelation of God's love in Jesus Christ. And Jesus then overcomes the darkness of sin and death in people's lives with the power of his great love. So all of these things are important to help set the stage for today's text as we look at John 8. So in John 8, Jesus is in the temple. And scholars believe that he's in the court of women so if you remember, the temple was kind of set up in these different areas where only certain people are allowed to worship. So the most outer layer is open to everyone. It's called the court of the Gentiles. And those who were not Jewish, but still wanted to come and worship God were allowed there. The next court was the, was the court of the women. And so it was the closest in that the women were allowed to go. And then it was followed by the areas for men and then the areas for priests. And then the most inner court was considered the holiest area where the presence of the Lord was believed to reside. So Jesus turns and he speaks to the crowd and the religious leader is among them. And he says, I am the light of the world. And I love his scholars believe that he made this statement in front of a candelabra. It's just so appropriate. From the text, many believe that this statement took place during the Feast of Tabernacles. 
And this festival was meant to help the Jewish people remember God's faithfulness when he brought them out of Egypt. They would live in these little shelters and they would reenact the life of their ancestors, sorry, ancestors in the wilderness. So at the time of Jesus, during the Feast of Tabernacles, the common practice was that people carried these torches around the temple and they lit candles. And these candelabras were meant to represent the hope that the promised Messiah would be the light of the nations. If we look at the text, a text from Isaiah, it's going to help give us some context. So Isaiah 42, 5 to 7 says this. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I've taken you by the hand and kept you. I've given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the blind eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit darkness. Again, that's Isaiah 42, 5 to 7. So therefore, it's significant that Jesus makes this claim in this particular place at this particular time. The nation of Israel is waiting for their rescuer. They're waiting for God to come and help them in the form of this promised anointed one. And Jesus is essentially saying, look, I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the one that will be a light to the nations. I will open the eyes of the blind. I will bring people out of oppression and I will set people free. I will overcome darkness that resides both in the world and in the hearts of people. Jesus goes on to say that whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. To come to Christ is to come to the one in whom is found life, the life of God, the one who gives us eternal life, and in him is found life and light that he offers to all those who follow him. He's inviting us to experience life. He is the one who gives eternal life, but moreover, he is the one who brings joy, peace, renewal, and restoration. All good and beautiful things are found in him and made complete in and through him. He is the source of everything we long for and desire. The purest and most complete form of these things is found in Jesus. He is the light of the world. And the world has not known God in, in its purest form. You know, they're blinded by their rebellion, their ignorance, their sin. So Jesus has come to reveal to people who the Father is and make a way so that people can be reconciled to God. And he's come not only for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. You know, people have been seeking God and relating with him in their own way for generations. And Jesus comes to create a pathway back to God. He's come to show people the truth about who God is and to make a way for them so they can be in close and intimate relationship with him. Jesus is meeting people in their faint understanding of the creator and helping them discover who he truly is. He's come to reveal to the world how much God loves them and make it possible for them to receive his love. And the Pharisees are confused. How could Jesus claim to be light? And they get lost in the legality of it all. Their understanding is darkened. 
They immediately refer to their laws, which state that an individual cannot testify about themselves. You cannot make a claim about yourself. If I were today to tell you that I was a priest or I was the prime minister of Canada, that would not be a valid testimony on its own. I would need someone else to testify on my behalf. I love Jesus's response. He won't play their games. He knows where he's come from. He knows where he's going. And he says quite clearly to them that they do not know where he's come from. They do not know where he's going. They do not understand. And he's trying to help them see that their mindset is clouded. And I'm sure the religious leaders didn't really like that response. It's as if Jesus is saying that he is above their laws. And he states that they don't, he does not judge by human standards. They're superficial. They're based on human wisdom. These people are in sin and they're in the dark and they do not understand the heavenly things that Jesus is trying to talk about. But then Jesus says, I judge no one. Jesus has not come to judge or condemn the world. It is the father who judges. He rather has come to seek and to save those who realize they're lost and need a rescuer. And not only that, but Jesus says that if he did judge, though he doesn't, it's not only he who judges, but he and the Father who sent him. Jesus is stating that he believes that he is a representative of the Father sent by him and representing Father God on this earth. And it's a big claim. He's inviting the religious leaders to receive him and believe in him as the promised Messiah the anointed one who's come to establish God's kingdom and rescue and save all the people. The law required that there would be two witnesses for a testimony to be valid. We see in Deuteronomy 19.15, a single witness shall not suffice to convict a person of any crime or wrongdoing in connection with any offense that may be committed. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be sustained. So Jesus pulls out the big guns he says, it will be God who will testify. God, or sorry, it will be his father who will testify um, that Jesus is who he really is. Now, there is a problem. No one can see his father. How can you say that your father will testify on your behalf when he's absent? And I love the Pharisees' question in verse 19. Where is your father? They don't ask who which is probably the better question because Jesus is talking about a witness that the people cannot see. The Pharisees are still thinking in earthly terms. Where is this father that you're referring to? They do not have a category or they refuse to have a category that it is God the father, the creator of the heavens and earth that Jesus is referring to. So Jesus responds and says, the people do not know him or the father. If only they knew him, then they would know the Father as well. And unfortunately, they missed it. He is the light who has come into the world to bring people back into relationship with God. And the very people who should understand the things of God, who should recognize him best, are completely closed to Jesus. They're in the dark. They're overcome with sin, pride, and hesitancy to receive the kingdom of God, which is standing literally right in front of them. And they're so stuck in their own ways of thinking that they completely miss the very God that they claim to worship. Jesus is the light of the world. 
the statement is as powerful today as it was so many years ago when Jesus said it in the temple courts, surrounded by candles, reminding the people of their hope of a rescuer. However, unfortunately, many did not recognize the very person that they were waiting for. Their hearts and their minds were darkened, and Jesus did not match their expectations of a Messiah. So there's two very concrete applications for us today that are both connected to a practice that I believe can help us receive Jesus as the light of the world. And the first practice is confession. 1 John 1, 5 to 10 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. We say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness. We lie and we do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we do not have sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's a loaded passage. But the practice of confession enables us to step out of the darkness and into the light. To confess is to admit to God our own natural tendencies to rationalize, to deny, to blame, and self-obsess. It's to invite the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to reveal what is true. And we do so in the knowledge that we do it in the safety of God's love so that we can authentically so that he can authentically bring about transformation in us. The goal of confession is to receive God's gift of forgiveness and restoration, seeking for him to set us on a path of renewal and change. We confess to God our weaknesses, our self-centeredness, the places where we are broken, um, and the relationships that are um, broken, and obviously the places we know that we have outright sinned. We invite God into our vices, our addictions, our little habits, and we seek God's grace for change. Confession brings us into the light because it reminds us of our need for Christ. It brings about sober judgment. It brings about gratitude for the gift of salvation and reminds us of our need for a savior. When we regularly practice confessing our sins, it can help us slowly see ways that Christ is bringing about transformation in our lives and hopefully through the power of our Holy Spirit, how he's making us more and more like him. When we confess our sins to another trusted individual, it can also deepen our experiences of spiritual friendship and Christian community. As we confess our sins and hear others confess, we can actually become more gracious towards other people, experiencing compassion for others in the midst of their own faults, reminding them of the power of Christ's forgiveness for each of us. So for those of us that believe that Jesus is light, and even for those that do not believe that yet, Jesus is inviting us to come out of the shadows and to speak of the truth about ourselves, the parts that are broken, the areas of need. And it is in these places, as things are brought to light, that Jesus promises us that we will be forgiven. And that process is not always easy. Actually, it can be pretty hard. Um, I found when I was diagnosed with cancer, 
I was amazed when I was just lying in my bed at some of the darkness that was in my soul. And I knew I needed to see a therapist. And I started this therapy journey. And pretty early on, my therapist was like, we need Melody in the room as we talk about these things. And it was painful to be honest about the depths of darkness in my soul and the ways that I was struggling. And yet it was so good. And I'm realizing the beauty of confession and the need for it in my life as I talk about what's really going on, uh, who I really am, and the struggles that I really face, and the sins that I am overcoming. The second practice is uh, the practice of witness. Jesus said in Mark 4, 21 to 23, is a lamp brought in to be put under the bushel basket or under the bed and not on the lampstand? For there's nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nothing secret except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. We are meant to reveal to the world the life-changing love of Jesus. And we do this through modeling and asking God to help us to live more and more like Jesus. We also do this by telling others the difference Jesus has made in our lives. We pray that we would live in the world in a manner that is more and more desirable and compelling, that draws people to discover who Jesus is. And we do that through serving people in moments of pain or need. We do that through advocating for the poor, the broken, the forgotten, or the neglected. We witness through invitation, inviting people into the details of our lives, not being afraid to tell people what we did on Sunday or that we're part of a church family. We are courageous enough to invite people to church or to check out Alpha. We seek to figure out how to express our Christian journey appropriately to others. We seek to understand God's heart for the world, that he sent Jesus to be a light to the nations and to grow in a desire to see people come to know Jesus. You know, I know I said this to you last week, but life with Jesus is truly the best thing we could ever experience. His ways and plans are good. And when we truly understand that, we begin to pray that all those we know and love and all those we don't even know would experience God's love and would, and would discover it for themselves. We pray that the veil would be lifted that the Holy Spirit would continue to draw them near and that we may see them come to know Christ. So in conclusion, Jesus is the light of the world. He's come to rescue us from fear, sin, and oppression. He desires for us to be free from all the chains and bondage that threatens to prevent us from living in freedom. When he helps us see that we are in the dark, it's not out of judgment. No, it's because he desires for the whole world to know the riches of his grace and love. We need to remember that no matter how dark this world may feel, it has, there is light. Jesus came, he lived, and he died, and he has conquered the powers of evil. He has overcome, and one day he will return. The darkness will not have victory. The very power that raised God from the dead resides in his people, the church. We have this unbelievable promise that God's light will be victorious, even when it looks like a dim flicker in the night. And so I encourage you to practice confession and to practice witness. 
Bring your whole self to God and reveal to him your areas of brokenness and sin. Invite him into your secrets in the areas of darkness and let his light shine in and bring transformation. And then tell others about God's work in your life. Don't keep it to yourself. Share about who Jesus is and what he's doing. Allow God to make you his witness. May you testify to the goodness of God in your own life. And may you become more and more like him and love people in a way that honors Jesus and brings him glory. As we wrap up, I'm going to pray. But before I do, I have a couple of quick reflection questions for you. Firstly, where in the world or in your own life do things look particularly dark? How is Jesus's statement, I am the light of the world, good news to that particular situation? Second question, does your experience of confession tend to be along the lines of forgive my sins, Lord, rather than naming specific sins one by one? How does the lack of making specific confession affect your self-awareness of your own shortcomings? And thirdly, what difference has faith in Jesus made in your own life? How can you share that with others? I'm just going to run through the reflection questions again really quickly and then I'll pray. So where in the world or in your own life do things look particularly dark? And how's Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world, good news to that situation? Does your experience of confession tend to be along the lines of, Lord, forgive my sins, rather than naming specific sins one by one? How does the lack of making specific confessions affect your own self-awareness of your shortcomings? And thirdly, what difference has faith in Jesus made in your own life? And how can you share that with Awesome. I'm going to pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we come to you today and we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you created the world. We thank you that you are good, beautiful, that you are life, that you are love. We thank you that we have the honor to live in this beautiful world that you have made. We are also aware that there is a lot of darkness in this world. There is darkness within each of us. There is a lot of darkness as we look at um, nations at war, famine, disease, pride, poverty, addiction, mental health. And God, in the midst of all of this darkness, it can be so easy to become overwhelmed. God, we thank you that you did not leave us or our world in this place of despair. That no matter how hard we try as humans to fix this world and to bring progress, there is still disease, famine, death, and despair. But you came. You are the light of the world. You came and you lived among us. You loved, you lived, you broke bread, you calmed storms, you cast out evil, and you died so that we could be reconciled to you. 
Jesus, you came and you made known to us who the Father is and showed us the characteristics of the Father and made it possible for us to be in relationship with him. Jesus, may we receive you as the light of the world. You have come to make all things new and you are establishing a kingdom in our midst where we can experience new life now and forever. Would you help us in response to this beautiful declaration that you are the light of the world, come out of the darkness? Would you help us to confess our own sins, our own shortcomings? Would you help us to confess that to you and to one another in ways that are appropriate and safe? And God, would you set us free from the powers of, of sin in our lives? And then, God, would you help us to tell other people about it? Would we not keep you a secret? Would we not put like a jar on top of, you know, the light? But would we shine? God, would you help us to become more like you? Would you transform us into your image and help us to actually love people in ways that point people to your love? And God, would you give us words to describe what you've done in our lives? Would you help us to tell the story of your son and his kingdom and our like little place in it and how you are making us new. We pray these things in your name and thank you that you are good. And we thank you for your love. Amen. All right, gang, really good to be with you all today. And I hope you are blessed. May you go in peace and we will see you soon. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in. We're back next week with another great message. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast.